This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. The role of a marketer really is as simple as Jennifer Matheson says it is. My job, and really most CMOs, your job is to be the primary advocate for the customer. Jennifer is the CMO of Santander Bank in the U.S., and while her assessment of a marketer's job sounds simple, there's more to it than meets the eye. A marketer has to provide a story behind the compelling products and services that make up a brand, and a marketer has to create a space that makes it possible for a consumer to build a meaningful relationship with your company. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Jennifer goes deeper on the intricacies of the role of marketers and CMOs, and she explains how to properly build a marketing culture that cultivates passion and creativity. Plus, Jennifer discusses why your marketing efforts should never feel transactional. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Jen, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Ian? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks so much for joining and excited to chat with you today about your background in marketing and everything that is going on at Santander Bank. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in marketing in the first place? I was a management consultant for a really long time, which I absolutely loved. And I found that the the projects that I loved the most were around entering into new markets and launching new products. But I really made, I think, a, a hard right turn into, into marketing, um, frankly, after I got divorced. I had two young children and I was a single mom and I couldn't travel like a management consultant anymore. Uh, and so there was an opening at a digital agency at the time called Modem Media, and they were looking for somebody in their strategy group. And I thought, oh, it's a strategy group. It's going to be just like management consulting. This is going to be great. And it's right down the street and it'll be a different lifestyle. And I got there. And people were literally whizzing around the office on skateboards. There was one woman dressed all in purple with chains. And I was like, what have I dropped myself into? It was a completely different culture. And you know what? I loved it. I loved the energy. I loved the, um, the immediacy of the work. I loved the creativity. I spent six months feeling um, like a complete idiot uh, because I didn't know really very much at all about digital marketing. But what an opportunity to learn about digital. This is 2004. And we were, I would say, the top digital agency or one of them. And what a tremendous opportunity to learn about not only marketing, but digital marketing. And I haven't looked back. And so flash forward to today, uh, tell us a little bit about what it means to be CMO of Santander Bank. I think that my job and, and really most CMOs, your job is to be the primary advocate for the customer. Yes, we all need to build and run efficient acquisition engines. And there's a science to that. Literally, there's a science to it now. It's becoming more technologically advanced than it ever ever has before. But at the end of the day, 
what we're here to do is to have something that's really compelling for our customers or in our case, for our clients. And we have to work very carefully with our colleagues and very intentionally to make sure that we've got something special for them, the right products, a really meaningful experience that feels great and is as frictionless as possible. And that's where I spend a lot of my time. Well, and and I was going to ask, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of CMOs might not have that experience part of their title that, you know, being in charge of customer experience. How does that shift how you think about marketing? So it was actually really important to me to have that. So that so previously, customer experience was not part of marketing. Um, I came to Santander from CVS Health, where I was the head of enterprise insights and experience. And I learned so much in that experience part of my job that I thought was really, really important to fold into my role as the chief marketing officer. Because as I mentioned before, you know, you can't really advocate for the customer properly unless you understand what you've got that's great and what you have that's not really hitting with them in a fair amount of detail. And you can't rally the organization to change those things unless you really understand and can ideally quantify the business value of fixing parts of your experience. And by that, I mean, what are you going to fix that's going to reduce calls to the call center? What are you going to fix that's going to improve customer retention? What are you going to fix that's going to reduce your cost per acquisition because you have a much better brand reputation? And so to me, it's all one ecosystem and I need to be able to work with my team to optimize across all the different levers. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's it's super fascinating because today, more than ever, I think CMOs are marketing through like the 360 degree kind of view of the customer. They're looking at life cycle rather than just acquisition. They're thinking about the customer differently than they have in the past. Obviously, you know, all sorts of the, you know, tech terms that are thrown out, which I mean, I think people have been thinking about for years, but like lifetime value and all those sort of things. But I think for, for marketers, it kind of just marks a new age of like, you kind of have to be thinking about customer experience because, you know, we always talk about like, we want to generate word of mouth. Well, at the end of the day, nobody's going to talk about you in a good way uh, if they don't have a good experience. Yes. And particularly if you're a bank where the customer experience can be fraught. Yes. Yeah, so how do you think about, you know, marketing a bank? Is it different? I think marketing any product is different. What we have going for us is that banks are probably a higher consideration relationship decision, right? Potentially than certain, uh, you know, I spent a lot of years on, on the agency side of the business working on consumer packaged goods, which is a low consideration purchase. So we have that going for us, right? But it cuts both ways. So in that sense, it's different. Certainly there's all kinds of regulations that are really important that are in the consumer's best interest that bind us. We don't want to violate those regulations anyway, because we want to do what's best for the the customer or the consumer. But we still have to be very careful about how we go about it. And there are certain things that there's an order of operations of certain things you have to disclose at certain times. But I think the biggest thing for us is understanding, you're right there at understanding which customers have the potential to have a big relationship with you, which customers have have the potential only to have a smaller relationship with you. And how do you um, modulate to that? Because they all have value. Yeah. And, you know, you're coming from a place at CVS Health where, you know, looking at customer insights and experience, obviously, you know, 
you're five months into this role. How did how did those first hundred days go? What were you thinking about uh, as you came into this role as CMO? So there are a few things that have been a focus and will continue to be a focus. And I would say a lot of them are around modernizing our marketing, moving, for example, away from direct mail, which let's face it, in the financial services space actually has a pretty decent ROI. But when you send out a piece of direct mail, not only is it not sustainable for the environment, I think that it sometimes can inadvertently send a message that you're not a modern bank. So we're looking to pivot our marketing more and more into digital channels. And there's some some headwinds to that or some barriers to that that we're working on to make sure that our digital marketing is as cost-effective and efficient as our direct mail marketing. So that's a big thing. I think a lot about the brand, not only in terms of customer experience, but how we want to go to market, how we want to define ourselves. Um, At Santander, we're a bank that's very much in transition. We've got a leadership team and an organization that's very, very dedicated to, to change, to modernization, to doing right by the customer in, in new ways. And so that has implications for how we want to talk about ourselves. So there's definitely some branding stuff going on. Certainly the customer experience piece that we talked about, our customer experience team has done a really great job of leveraging pretty robust survey data, which is such an asset to figure out what are the big rocks of things that we really need to fix and how can it be of mutual benefit to the customer and to the business. And then digitization, which uh, we talked about a minute ago, is so, so important. Our clients are showing us through their engagement digitally and through the branch. And also we look at, of course, third-party data all the time that digitalization is where a lot of them want to not only transact, but grow, engage, and learn. So that's a, that's a huge part of what I'm focused on also. When you came in, did you, you know, did you start kind of getting into the weeds on some, some campaigns, some early campaigns, or have there been any campaigns that you're particularly excited about? You know, yes and no. So when I first started, of course, a lot of the campaigns were already locked and loaded, right? So when I first came in, it was kind of like, great, that's what we're doing. Um, I think we have some exciting new products that are in the process of rolling out. And I don't even want to call some of them products. Some of them are more like a relationship platform for how you can bank with us that are really exciting, very digital and mobile first. And those are the things that um, I feel like I'm able to shape along with the team. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. And you'll see some of those this summer. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in those first hundred days, was there something specific that you like kind of did your your audit of like how the company goes to market to look at like, you know, what what are what are the ways to add some capacity or maybe, you know, trim here and add here? Like what what did that kind of like almost like an audit process look like? Yeah. So there are some capabilities that that I thought it was important to build our bench strength on. And we're actually hiring now for anybody who's interested in joining Santander. Oh, there you go. Check us out at Santander Careers. <laughs> um, but those areas are our customer experience team. So what we do is we line up people who are advocates for the customer with each of our lines of business. So that would be, for example, our deposit products or our lending products, and also with our channels teams, like the digital channels team. And they help work on customer journeys. And so we only had a few of those people. And so we're hiring for more to make sure that we can be part, that 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 advocacy for the customer can be part of more conversations in more places. So that's a really, really big one. 
we are, as we grow our marketing team, we're definitely growing, um, looking for people who have pretty significant digital experience and talent and integrated marketing experience and talent so that we can market in a very, almost like sort of a channel agnostic way, right? Um, understanding how, the, how all the pieces flow together. And then I would say another thing that I noticed for us culturally, so many banks, as I, as I mentioned earlier, there are so many regulations that you have to work through and there is a lot of process. Um, we have to be very careful and that's very understandable. But culturally, one of my concerns is that as a marketing team, some of our emphasis on process, which by the way, has been fantastic and I'm so proud of it, has sometimes muted our passion and creativity. And if your marketing team isn't passionate and creative, then you know it's a real missed opportunity, right? Um, and so we need to open the door for more of that um, creativity and figure out how we uh, really energize not only the creative folks on the team, but everyone on the team to be more creative. Yeah, that's a great point. We always talk about, you know, the art and the science, like you mentioned that, you know, motivating the creative people to do creative work, motivating the data people to do data work. And, and where, do the, where does that line kind of get blurred? Because if you have too much of one, then you're probably not in the right spot. At the end of the day, like the data can tell you a lot, but you can A, B, test yourself into some hairy situations. Been there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, me too. So, you know, what's interesting to me is because we've, of course, done research on this, is that when people think about their bank, a lot of times they think about it as a place to transact, right? Or a transactional type of relationship. And yet, most bankers that you would find in a bank branch are actually able to give you some pretty great advice. And not just about are you saving enough, et cetera, et cetera, but like, do you have your account set up to optimize your FDIC coverage, right? Or if you need some, you know, maybe you need to make a purchase, what's the best way to borrow? Should you borrow against your house? Should you put it on a credit card? Should you do a personal loan? They have this great, this great sort of wealth of knowledge and they're under leveraged, not just at Santander, I would say at most bank branches in this country. So that, and then when you combine that with the fact that Literally like 59% of consumers say that they do not have their financial situation sorted out, not just not having enough money, but like figuring out like what goes where. And eight out of 10 people say that they would be much less stressed if they could figure that out. It's kind of like the consumer has the need, we've got the advice and we're not coming together. So whether it's, you know, the work cafe format or more digital formats or just motivating folks to use branches a little bit differently. We need to put the peanut butter with the chocolate and come up with something delicious together. Yeah, totally. You know, I, it is one of those things where you start to look at like, what does a uh, does a branch look like in twenty years? Like, maybe it's completely different. Like, maybe there there's there's other things that you know. Uh, I feel like you know, over the last 20, 20 years, I, I feel like pretty much every every branch of, of a bank that I've been into is more or less the same. So, I think you know, part of that being that. People don't go into them very much with a lot of digital tools. And then some people do go into them. What is the value of people going into, into it versus not? It, it, it's a fascinating discussion. So we think a lot actually about what is the future of the branch as part of a larger conversation about what's the best way for us to engage with customers in the future, thinking about it in a really integrated way. What's the role of the branch? What's the role of mobile? What's the role of digital? What's the role of care centers, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think if, as we think about it as part of a broader ecosystem, 
and as consumers show us how they want to engage with us, the branch does look different, right? It already looks smaller than it used to, but we are uh, working quite a bit to figure out what that design looks like. So stay tuned for more on that. We talked a little bit about, you know, the the data-driven marketers. How do you think about data? How does your team think about data? So we're actually unbelievably fortunate because we have a data and analytics center of excellence that does not sit within marketing that is so proactive, does such an amazing job of anticipating the questions that we will have. They serve up, serve up to us insights around different segments. They track our marketing efficiency and effectiveness. We have customer lifetime value modeling. So we have really a wealth of tools available to us and, and great partners. Um, the part that we are continuing to evolve is our, our MarTech stack and our ability from a technology perspective to serve up personalized offers to people based on their behaviors with us. So that's another thing that we're very focused on. Yeah. And so what does that look like? How do you kind of align your team? Uh, you know, you mentioned you have, uh, you know, a center of excellence there. Are you, do you br- like bring in those like data-driven marketers? Like how do you, how do you align your team to try to help do that stuff? Yes, we have some already. And uh, we're, as we build and grow the team, that's increasingly what we're looking for is data-driven marketers, people with great digital experience, people who take sort of like a a human-centered approach to designing experiences, that's definitely a focus for us. What about uh, content? How do you think about content marketing? Content marketing is another thing that we are growing. That's another way that people have, that's another thing that's really accelerated during the pandemic, right? People are sitting at home, absorbing content all day long. And it's an opportunity for us, again, to help folks make better financial decisions or help folks on their path to being more educated around their options in terms of their personal or their small business finances. So content is really important to us and something that we are going to do more and more of going forward. Yeah, it seems like the financial responsibility, obviously, everybody wants to be better, right? And it's like the the ongoing thing. But as you mentioned, at some point, you probably need to talk to a human. I mean, maybe maybe not everybody, but, you know, for a lot of people, you know, the journey might start with kind of like those nudges of like, hey, you know, I don't know. I don't know what a nudge would be. Um, <laughs> clearly, I'm... Oh, I know what a nudge would be. Okay. Yeah. What's a nudge? You really want to spend that? No, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> that's more like an elbow. So... Technology and personalization is going to open up lots of avenues for digital first ways to help people reach their financial goals. And to your point, it's just a question of what is their preference? What It has to be something that feels comfortable and additive to the consumer or to the business owner, right? So you could set something up where you as the account holder could set certain, just like on my car, I set it so that it beeps when I go over 90 miles an hour because that's something that I don't really want to be doing. You as the account owner could set up certain guardrails for yourself, right? So that, and that way, you know that you're the one who set those. You could also potentially going forward, you could ask it to make recommendations to you. You know, there are different uh, things, not only in terms of your own spending, but your own investing. And also, as I mentioned previously, if you need liquidity, if you want to make a purchase or something like that, 
AI can tell you the best way to borrow against your house, secured, unsecured, credit card, whatever it is. It's really, to me, more, it's not that we can't figure out a way to serve that up to the consumer. It's really more a question of, are they open to it? And is that in service of building a deeper relationship with them that's helpful? Yeah, I wonder... I wonder then like what what is the way to get that sort of a nudge in a way like that's why I think the cafe idea is such a cool such a cool thing because if you were kind of just having a casual conversation while you're you know sipping some coffee or or doing that it seems like kind of like almost like when you're at a conference or something where you're like I don't really want to talk to a bunch of like salespeople for example but you're like hey, you're at a conference and you're like yeah I'm at the happy hour I may uh, you know let's see what people are doing I don't know it seems like somebody like might be in a in a mental space where they could kind of have a more nuanced discussion uh, than you know AI kind of telling them like hey you should do X Y or Z yeah I would agree but I also think that for example you know marketing shouldn't feel transactional either, right? It should feel like it's something that's in the best interest of the recipient and not necessarily the best interest of the bank, recognizing, of course, there's a reason we're doing it, right? But you don't want it to feel self-serving. That's true of your relationship with a banker and those conversations. And that will eventually be true for any kind of AI-driven recommendations. Um, It needs to be served up in a way that feels like it's helpful to you. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think that is part of, um, you know, healthcare is kind of similar in that way where it's like, is this something that's you want me to do because it benefits the healthcare system or is it because it benefits myself? Like, you know what I mean? That's a really, that's an inter- interesting distinction because I do think we probably tend to be, have our guards up a little bit for things like that. Well, I know that you had Rahul Kak on here from Aetna, who's a friend of mine, and he, that's what he does, right? Is motivates people to make behavior changes that will benefit their own health because it's a it's mutually beneficial, right? If the if the person is is healthier, then the company is also healthier. And and that's where you have to find those points of intersection. Yeah, look at look at that. Rahul, great guest. Uh, I'm guessing you were together at CVS Health. Indeed. Crazy. Well so, you know, speaking of your your time at CVS Health, what are some of those like the customer insights and experiences that that you worked on there? that CMOs can take lessons from? Because, you know, for for a lot of CMOs and marketing leaders, they might not own customer experience. They might maybe think that they should own customer experience or they, they want to do that, but they don't necessarily know, like, you know, how to how to kind of chart that path. What are some of those type of, of things looking like? Like if there was a chief customer experience officer job open, you know, going from CMO to that, is that a fit? Can you kind of just talk about that? Yeah, you know what, actually, I'm really glad you brought it up because I think there's some confusion about what it means to run a customer experience capability. So what I used to think was that if you run the customer experience capability, then you are sort of, you and your group are responsible for every aspect of the customer experience and it's within your power to fix and change it. But that's not really, (laughs) turns out not so much. Most customer experience practices what they do is they collect really robust data and insights about the current experience. They benchmark against competitors and best practices. They do customer journey work to figure out what are the bumps in the road. And then they do analytics and prioritization exercises to figure out what do we need to go out and improve. At that point, 
you don't really own it anymore, right? At that point, you become an advocate for the customer working closely with your peers on other teams, whether that's product teams, operational teams, customer service teams, in-store, in-branch teams. And that's where you um, really need to help folks understand that that changes, improvements to the customer experience benefit us all mutually. And that's where having the sort of business case part of it comes in, right? Is to show, hey, it's going to take a year to change this. It's going to cost us X million dollars. And yet the benefit of it is that we can reduce uh, attrition by 5% and we can reduce our call center costs by 8% or whatever it might be. Yeah. What's an example of, of one of those insights that, that you've seen in your career that would be something that, that you, could, you could tackle and challenge? So an example would be, and I'm, I, can't, I don't want to get into too many specifics, right? Because at some point you start talking about, I don't want to come on and talk in detail about uh, all, the, all the bumps in our road, right? But there are some things that cause a lot of downstream consequences. So we really focus on root causes that have a variety of negative impacts for our customer. So we look at things that happen to a lot of customers and that when they happen, they have a big impact on NPS. And we look for things that if you change them, it moves the needle on on NPS and on costs. So if you work at a bank, Obviously, the great news is we have all kinds of fraud triggers to try to prevent fraud. But what happens sometimes is if a fraud trigger gets tripped, you can have downstream consequences of trying to sort of unlock across different parts, different channels, or different ways to engage. That would be one thing that, that probably happens at a lot of different banks. Another thing that I've seen happen at other businesses is um, you have different business units and people might have a relationship across multiple business units and your handoffs or your transfers between those business units, because those business units are siloed, you get lost, right? You yep. get dropped or you, they don't understand, right? And so those those transitions between business units can be particularly fraught. I love both of those. Um, yeah. I mean, you think about, you know, in, in healthcare, for example, like how quickly does it take you to book an appointment, right? It's like, if you can't figure out how to book an appointment uh, or if the app doesn't work for that or whatever it is, or the phone number, you know, you call and it's like 85 seconds straight of press number one for this, press number two for this, like all those little things that could, that could have those downstream effects that you're like, okay, well, you know, our people are booking less appointments. And uh, when they book less appointments, it means that we don't, you know, identify risks as early X, Y, Z. Well, one example of that, it, like you're absolutely right, right? And those are the times when the consumer, like in healthcare, the consumer or the patient in this case ends up not doing something that really would benefit them, right? In the case of banking, it usually means they go to a competitor. So one of the things, for example, that our, our lending team has done that's been so fantastic is we now have something called Easy Apply, which is a digital mobile first process that dramatically reduces the time it takes to close on a loan, secured, unsecured, et cetera. Uh, I think because we recognize that exact fact, right? That if it's if there's friction in the process, you'll find a process that works better for you. It's funny because CMOs typically would use those strengths as marketing material, right? It's like like if you were really good at appointment booking, for example, it's like book an appointment in under in less than 30 seconds or whatever, right? Like you'd use the things that you're really good at 
as a strength. And when you have a weakness like that from a customer experience standpoint, if you're not identifying those, I guarantee that your competitors are going to use those against you, right? Like, and that's part of the thing of why this is so interconnected with customer experience and marketing is like, in order to keep your customers happy, that's one part of it. And then in order to to get new customers, uh, that's another part of it. But it's so intertwined. I mean, like customer experience is so intertwined now with marketing that the CMO really needs to have, you know, a pulse of what is going on in the CX. Yes, totally agree. Right. And not only marketing per se, but also brand and reputation, because these days, increasingly your customer experience is your reputation. And that's because of social media, which if people, enough people have a terrible experience, it just gets amplified. And that's, that's your reputation. And it's a lot harder to, you know, improve it than it is to lose it. We all know that, right? And so that's another, another reason why it's so important to be very interconnected between marketing and customer experience. Yeah, the old, uh, you know, all press is good press is definitely not true when people are uh, ripping you on Twitter every day, that's for sure. Oh, if only those days were still around. Right. Um, so 2020 was obviously hard on a lot of SMBs and, and consumers. And, uh, you know, I think we collectively feel like hopefully this is getting close to, you know, being our, our rear view. What's next for you? What's next for, uh, for the bank? Uh, how are you thinking about, you know, marketing in the second half of 2021 and beyond? So it's interesting you mentioned small businesses. And what I think is really fascinating to me is, first of all, we all know small businesses took a real hit, but 74% of small business owners say that they see themselves as financially resilient, which is amazing. There's been a huge uptick in people um, saying that they intend to start a small business, which you wouldn't necessarily have guessed. It's a little counterintuitive. And I understand also a huge uptick in um, filings or applications for small business permits. So I actually think we're going to see some really exciting new businesses are going to start in all of this because we sort of press the reset button on understanding what consumers need, what they need at the local level, et cetera. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. And so at Santander, we're thinking about how can we meet and exceed the needs of small business owners, both existing and new that are getting into the space. So I think that's going to be really exciting. Um, We're definitely working on how we can use digital experiences to not only in, in service of doing more for the customers that we have, but also for how do we grow the bank using digital really as sort of like a, a stepping stone into new relationships, maybe even new geographies, new product areas. So you'll see a lot of that, I think, not just from Santander, but other banks as well. And you have a unique circumstance because Santander is is a multinational bank. And so, you know, I'm curious, like you meant you mentioned the work cafe is one of the things that is something that that's more prevalent in in other countries. Are there any other things that like you you try to kind of like cross pollinate from other things that uh, as banking is done differently in other countries? Because it seems like that's one thing about, you know, for for our American listeners and for people that are that are marketing, uh, you know, to Americans a lot is there's all these other things that that other other countries are doing that can really be helpful in your marketing. And we just don't necessarily, you know, always get that kind of cross-pollination. Yeah, we're actually really, really fortunate to be part of Santander. It's actually a huge global bank that a lot of people in the US, particularly outside of the Northeast, may not may not be as familiar with Santander. But if you have lived in South America, Latin America, 
much of Europe, the UK, you've heard of Santander and, you know, and Santander has an amazing reputation. There are lots of great things for us to tap into. And honestly, as a person who's new to the, to the company, there are some things that I'm still learning about. But we do a lot in terms of, for example, sustainable banking and business practices. Uh, We have some pretty ambitious goals. We do a lot in terms of responsible banking and business practices. We have the advantage of some global centers of excellence, for example, around digital marketing and advertising best practices, sponsorships, and some other things. There's a whole community of marketers that I know I can tap into. I've reached out to a couple people already. And um, there are also assets that we can share, right? Whether it's video assets or branding assets and thought leadership. So it's just really, really nice to to be part of um, really a global community of really strong marketers and to have the resources of being, you know, one of the world's biggest banks. Yeah, that's like when you're uh, when you're talking to the other leaders and you're like, ah, geez, looks like. Maybe that Formula One race car sponsorship needs to happen or or something like. uh, (laughs) Well, yeah. Yes. Although, you know, on the on the other hand, like, you know, the responsibility, you know, to represent one of the world's biggest banks in this country, a bank that has a really amazing reputation around the world. You know, so you kind of got to like represent, right? Like um, it's important to make sure that we're up to that level. And so that's, that's another thing that is really a motivator for me. I was thinking it's just so fun that when you have, uh, when you're marketing multinational, and I know it's extremely difficult and challenging, but when you're marketing multinational and you have all of these different, all of these different spots, I love sponsorships. So I'm, I'm just I'm biased, but um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, just, I just think there's so many cool things. I've talked about it on the show a bunch, but like when, when it's really done right, it can be so cool and creative and, and drive a lot of value. But when you open up to like a multinational to thing, there's so many, whether it's sports or concerts or different sort of things that are, that are something that is going to, you know, to be a multi-country sort of endeavor. If you're to sponsor, I'm, I don't know, something out of like a Formula One thing, like I mentioned, it's like that's reaching all sorts of different audiences. And if you're an American company, uh, just targeting, you know, Americans, like pretty much going to be wasted money at that point, but it allows you to do a little bit more uh, creative kind of brand stuff when you, when you reach more, when the opportunities reach more people. So anywho, okay, let's get to our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing of Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Jen, are you ready? We'll see. <laughs> number one, when this is all over, what is the vacation that you're going to go on? What's the trip? What's the spot? Uh, what are you going to do? Okay, so I actually have this planned. I'm going to go out to California for a week by myself because the two friends that uh, wanted to do it with me both dropped out, but that's okay. I can be on my own and I'm going to spend, it's going to be like a wellness retreat. I'm going to spend four or five hours a day hiking. Then I'm going to go do an exercise class and then I'm going to do yoga and then I'm going to have a massage and then I'm going to go to bed. There'll be no sugar, no alcohol, no caffeine and no animal products. And I'm going to be so healthy at the end. There's going to be rainbows shooting out of my nostrils. <laughs> I love it. We're in California. Are you going to come to our, our sunny Bay area? Well, I'm going to be busy hiking, but if you invite me, I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's going to be in Malibu though. Oh, okay. oh Malibu's the best. Oh, Malibu's great. What do you do for fun? 
I've been a member of a women's acapella group for 20 years. And unfortunately, we've had to take this year off because one of the things that you can't do is sing. Right. Um, but that's um, a creative outlet for me. It's a fellowship outlet for me because the other women in the group are just so amazing. They're some of my best friends. And it's just been a really important part of my life for 20 years. That's rad. That's really cool. That's a first on the show. I don't think we've had that before. <laughs> um, if you could have one person to interview on a podcast, it can be anyone. Who would it be? Wow, that's hard. I would say it would be a real trailblazing woman, like a Gloria Steinem, maybe like a Stacey Abrams, somebody who has changed the world and made the world better for women. I went to a women's college. I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, I'm a proud feminist and uh, I would definitely want to talk to somebody who's made the world better for women and thank them. Yeah, that's a great one. If you weren't in marketing or really even business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, at first I was like, obviously, if I weren't in marketing, I would be in management consulting because half my career was spent as a management consultant and I loved it, loved it, loved it, but I didn't love the lifestyle. Gosh, if I weren't in business at all. All right. So in college, I did briefly. Oh, this is funny. Okay. So when I was in college, I was an econ major and a music minor, and I was trying to figure out whether I should be a music major and try to be an opera singer, that that would be my career because I loved it and I was. I'd been, been a musician for a really long time at that point. And so what I did is I grabbed a data set from my father, who's a professor of economics, and it was a labor economics data set. And I ran an econometric analysis to try to figure out what are the variables that drive whether or not somebody is able to support themselves as a musician. And I could not find a direct correlation. So I decided to major in economics, which is probably a really good indicator also that majoring economics and not being a musician was a good choice, regardless of what the data had told me. Well, we're glad you became a marketer. That's for sure. And, uh, and you're still, and you're still singing with your acapella group. So you did both. That's true. Is there an ad or an ad campaign uh, that you've seen that you're jealous of, or is one of your favorites of all time? I love almost everything that Coca-Cola does from, you know, commissioning music for the World Cup to putting names on soda cans to their exciting vending solutions. I think they have a great way of unlocking energy, passion, and emotion. And I love how creative they are. They don't just think of it as sending people into stores or to vending machines to buy a soda. They think of it as unlocking affinity in every touch point they can possibly have. And so I've always been really inspired by them. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? I think um, it's important to have a team of people that you can trust who you think are really, really capable. And I think you can never spend enough time, sorry, or you can never spend too much time looking at your marketing results and diving into what's working, what's efficient, what's not working, and what are the opportunities. What's one question that you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? You know, not a lot of people ask me about my personal life or who I am as a person. And I'm, you know, I've had some struggles in my life. You know, I was a single mother for a while. My husband and I raised five kids under some challenging circumstances. And that's a big, big part of me. And I think people, you know, want to be respectful and want to keep things professional. But my personal life is 
part of who I am and there's not really a lot of, you know, it's, I'm all one package. And so I'd be pretty open to people asking me more things about who I am as a person. Yeah, that's a great one. I think we probably collectively don't, don't talk about that stuff enough. It's been one of the, you know, strange, you know, year uh, silver linings to just see people at home and in their, you know, in their home life and things a little bit, a a peek in the window a little bit more uh, than we had ever before. Um, well, that's it, Jen. That's all. That's all we got. All right. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, for our listeners, if you want to learn more, you can check out SantanderBank.com. Uh, anything else? Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, thank you for the time today. I really appreciate it. Um, please do check out not only Santander Bank, but also Santander Careers. If you're excited to join our marketing or a customer experience team, we definitely are hiring and um, we're excited to meet you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.